Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. I am very thankful that you're here today. It's our birthday, and we're celebrating. We had a great 915 gathering, and I believe the same thing is going to happen here at 11 o'clock. And one of the things that made it so fun is we have a special guest speaker today. His name is Brian Pipping, so let me talk to you a little bit about Brian. When I was thinking about this day, our 46th birthday, and the last birthday that we will celebrate here in the middle school. This is the last one because we'll be in our new home next year. I really wanted this to be a memorable day for us where we were given a challenge in light of being seven weeks away from occupying that new space, in light of where God has taken us over 12 and a half years of meeting here in the school, And over the past eight years, that's how many birthdays I've celebrated here at Valley Point, I wanted something that would just really inspire us and encourage us to be living the kind of life that God would want for us as a church. And so I began to pray about what this day could potentially look like. As I prayed, God planted Brian's name on my heart. And so I reached out to him and invited him to come and He's here, and we're in for a real treat. Brian and I had the privilege of serving together for seven and a half years at Grace Bible Church in Shorewood, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. I worked with Brian, for Brian. He was my boss. And those seven years, Tanya and I often talk about that time frame as being incredibly important for what God was doing in my heart as a leader and as a pastor. And I had much to learn, much to learn. And God uniquely placed me with the perfect individual who took time to mentor and coach and was patient with me and loved me and my family and just did his absolute best to prepare me for what eventually would come. And we had no idea what that would look like or where that would take us. But I am convinced that God used those years under Brian's leadership and mentorship to prepare me for everything that I have experienced here at Valley Point. And so I'm so thankful for him and for those years. During that time frame, we relocated to a new campus as well. And so much of what I walked through during that time and how I saw Brian lead through many different challenges that you go through as a faith community when you relocate and build and everything that's involved, I have used every single one of those lessons and have called many times to say, okay, I don't think I was in the meeting where you might have thought about this. Can you please help me? And he has been so compassionate and gracious, and always willing to talk. Here's what I've learned from Brian. Love for the church. Love for the church. One of the things you'll hear from Brian today, and you'll sense from him, is that the church is the hope of the world. And he's given his life to serving the church. 
And in my time with him, that love for the church continued to grow. I learned from Brian a tremendous respect and love for God's word. And I learned from him how to unpack a paragraph. You hear me use that phrase. And I got that from him, how to shuck the corn with God's word. We know that phrase. That's a very Midwest thing to do and say. So he taught me how to shuck the corn when it comes to God's word and looking for deep truths and words and context and history and how it's living and has so much to say to how we live today. I also learned from Brian a deep love and desire to be generous with my time and with my resources. And I remember watching Brian do some extravagant, generous things with his life and with what God gave to him and often marveled at that and hoped someday I might have some of those same opportunities. And God has lovingly pushed me into several of those opportunities and I've learned how to be generous from his leadership. Brian just spent the last six or seven days in Beirut. He's been training national pastors. He loves the church worldwide. And when I called him, he said, well, I think I can get there to Philadelphia on Sunday morning, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to be coming from Beirut to Italy to Canada. You know, I think we can make this work. And he made it work, and he squeezed time into a very busy schedule to be with us. He is one of my best friends, has been a tremendous mentor, just great. And again, from a distance, he has been a cheerleader for Valley Point. He has impacted many of our decisions, even though you may not know that. And he has loved our church. And he's loved us as a faith community. And so I'm very excited to welcome Brian Pipping. Let's give him a warm Valley Point welcome, please. Was able to teach Eric a lot, but never which side of the table to stand on. So it is so good to be with you, Valley Point. Love you guys so much and uh, so impressed with God's grace and faithfulness to all of you. It was great to sing that old song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And you guys are such a testimony uh, to all of that. So thankful to be able to be with you on your 46th birthday. I, I remember uh, many years ago, uh, almost a decade now, that a group from Valley Point uh, came to our church in Chicago to steal one of our very best <laughs> people. And we were sad to lose Tanya. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for putting up with Eric. You got the prize in Tanya and the kids. I love Eric. Uh, He is one of my dearest friends in the world. And the older I get in ministry, the more you realize how precious good friends are. And uh, from a distance, we have prayed for you and we have longed for all that God is now doing uh, here at Valley Point. And on your 46th birthday, I want to begin by just praying a prayer of blessing, that God's blessing would rest, that his favor would be present, and that you would experience great favor 
not just with God, but with people in this community. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you so much for meeting with us today. We are humbled in your presence. We are made aware um, that without you, we can do nothing, but with you, all things are possible. And uh, Father, I want to thank you for this great church and for a half a century of faithfulness. Father, for this tipping point that they find themselves at today as they are seven weeks away from making the march to a brand new, a real home. Uh, Not just for their hearts, but for the hearts of all those that are not even here yet. And Father, we pray for them. Lord, you know their names. You know the pathway that you've chosen for them and uh, the faith experience and expression that they will have as they are assimilated into the body of Christ in Valley Point Church. And Lord, we pray for great favor. We pray for an outpouring of your blessing. God, meet every need uh, that this church has going forward. May this town and this community and this culture be forever impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this. In his name, amen. Well, you guys really are at a tipping point in the life of your church. Half a century uh, of doing ministry in this little corner of the globe, and uh, God has shown himself to be faithful, amen? Uh, yeah, I, I come from the Midwest. I'm sorry, they, they say amen when there's a good point made, so I'll coach you, okay? But uh, give you one more run at that. God has been so faithful, amen? amen. See, there you go. Uh, if you don't know what that word means, check with Eric afterwards, he'll help you out. Uh, but uh, let me share, as Eric said, we went through a similar thing in Chicago and, and moved to a new campus and went through all that you're going through and had all of the excitement. And uh, let me just tell you what God's about to do in this new season. Uh, you're going to see things that you've been seeing, but at a way different level. You're going to see life change occur in a completely different way. You're going to see far from God found. You're going to see the blind see spiritually. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, we believe that God is doing all of this. That while you have been faithful and you have been generous and you have sacrificed, that this is indeed the work of God. The church is God's greatest passion. It is the hope of the world. And he wants to use every one of you in pouring out your gifts and your service. And this is the time to lean in. This is the time, like never before, to say, I am a vital part of Valley Point Church, and we are going to reach this whole area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, hey, my dream on your 46th birthday is this, that we would become a church that would live out The purpose of Jesus at every time and in every place. What is the purpose of Jesus? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. It's living that purpose out at every time and in every place. I want to use the time that's left to me this morning to challenge our hearts from the Word of God. If you have a Bible in front of you, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You'll see the scripture on the screens behind me. You can follow along there. I I, want to challenge us to reimagine what it might be like if we made a decision, if we had a birthday wish and we used it for this, 
that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and for those that he loves. If we would say on our 46th birthday and blowing the candles out on the cake, I wish that I would live for Christ and for others and not for myself. This could be a transformative moment in the life of the church as we think for the next few moments about what it means to live out the purpose of Jesus at every time and in every place, we're going to unpack from this scripture four basic components, four guidelines for what it means to live missionally in a post-Christian lost world. If you're a note taker, you might start with this one. Uh, There is a control factor for missional living. There's a control factor. Let me ask you, what what controls you? What is it that drives you out of bed in the morning? Uh, What is it that has you chasing what you chase every day? This passage is going to talk to us about a control factor. Uh, Let me read just verse 14 and 15 here. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. What is the control factor for missional living? If we're going to live out the purpose and uh, ministry of Christ at every time and in every place, there has to be something controlling us. It says here in the text, for the love of Christ controls us. You know, I think for most of us, if you're like me at all, we tend to be controlled by the measurements and metrics of this world, power and fame and family and security. Those are the things that tend to drive us. And yet here it says the love of Christ is to control us. Notice it didn't say the commands of Christ. I know a bit about Eric's past, and he and I shared this in common, that we grew up in churches that we're all about the commands of Christ. Nothing wrong with the commands. Uh, They give us parameters. They give us uh, a, a kind of a road to run on. But they are not the controlling or motivating factor in our life. It's not obedience that is to drive us. It is the aspiration created within us by the love of Christ. It was the love of Christ that bridged the gap that was created by my sin in spite of my uh, insistent rebellion. Scripture says, while I was at war with God, Christ died for me. It was his amazing love that bridged the gap. Folks, if we're going to live out the mission and purpose of Jesus at every time and every place, we have to have a new controlling element in our life. It must be the love that Christ has for us. Number two, there's not only a control factor for missional living, there is a turning point for missional living. When was the last time that you had a real turning point in your life? I mean, uh, it's different now moment. Maybe it was when you heard the C word from your doctor. Maybe you went through the tragedy of a divorce. Uh, Maybe you had a child in rebellion. Maybe you lost your job. Your career got rerouted. Uh, There are triggers that cause 
turning points. Uh, It doesn't happen all that often. But what we see in this text is, I believe, the strongest transitional statement in all of the New Testament. Four words that say there's a line here now. It was this. It's now going to be that. There's going to be an absolute transformative moment here for me. What are are those four words? Look in verse 16. It says this, from now on, therefore. From now on, therefore. So much in four words. There's timing in those four words. From now, from this very moment, things are going to get different. You know what? You never change anything about your life until you draw a line and say, from this moment on, I'm going to be different. From this moment on, I'm going to treat my wife better. From this moment on, I'm going to get healthier. From this moment on, I'm going to be the employee at work that I need to be from this moment moment on. There has to be a timing element in every transformative moment. There's timing in those words. There's also permanence. From now on. I'm not going back. There's not a detour. There's not an alternative way to get there. It's from now on. Going forward, it's going to be this way. Timing and permanence and obligation from now on, therefore, right? Obligation. I, I, I have to do something different. I have to be somebody that's different. I must be transformed. Well, that's the transitional statement from now on, therefore. So what's the change? What has to change? Look in the text, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, we were with it up to that point, right? And then Paul goes all theological on us here. What is he talking about? I'm not going to see people in the flesh anymore. That just sounds strange to our modern ears, Um. Well, it gives an illustration in the text to clarify for us. Let's keep reading. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You see, in the minds of the first century Christ followers, especially the disciples, Jesus at first was just flesh and blood. He was just a rabbi, a teacher. He was like them. He was another man. And he said, initially, there was a time when we saw Jesus in the flesh. We just saw him like us. But now we seem that way no longer. Why? Because he died and was buried and rose again and ascended back to the Father. They saw him transformed. They saw his divine side. And so it says, we no longer see him according to the flesh. We used to, but we don't anymore Now we see him the way he truly is. Now we see him the way that God sees him. Look in verse 17. Therefore, based on that illustration, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
Now we're getting into familiar territory. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And now I want to borrow just a phrase from verse 18. All this is from God. See, he says, from now on, therefore, we're going to make a change. We're no longer going to see people the way we used to see them, according to the flesh. We're going to see them a different way, the way that God sees them, the way that they can be if they come to faith in Christ. You remember um, one of the times that Jesus healed a blind man? Uh, Now, usually when Jesus healed, he just spoke and it was so. Uh, Kind of a one-off, it it was a one-step process, be healed. In this particular case, it was two steps, right? Uh, you remember he, he spit into some mud and put that on the guy's eyes, and then he washed it off, and he said, How, how's that working out for you? Now, he was making a point here. And the man is kind of squinting, you can imagine, and he looks out and says, Yes, I, I can see men, but they look like trees, I can see, but I can't see very clearly. And so then Jesus does the second step to the miracle. Now how's it working out for you? Well, I can see men, but I see them clearly. You know what? I I think we need a spiritual healing to the way that we see people around us. I think we see them, but we see them in the flesh. We see them and they look like trees. We see them and there are limits to what we see. And we need the Lord to heal our eyes spiritually so that when we see them, we see them clearly. We see them the way God sees them. What does it mean to see someone according to the flesh? It's, it's pretty limited, right? It's kind of um, cynical. Uh, We see them according to things like the color of their skin. We see them based on their socioeconomic situation. We see them based upon the outcomes of their life, based on the decisions that they've made. And seeing them in the flesh, it's always self-protective, right? It's always, I, I, I compare favorably in my mind to that person. These are the hidden prejudices of our heart, and we think they're gone until we're faced with a situation. And if we're truly honest with ourselves before the Lord, we have to say, I see them, but I don't see them clearly. I had kind of a crazy day yesterday. Four countries, three continents. I never want to have to take my passport out again. (laughs) It's uh, crazy. And uh, you know what, as I was preparing and praying, and I knew what I'd be sharing today here at Valley Point, and you know, God, I think in his humor, put me on a plane, a sandwich, I I got the middle seat twice, it was awesome, and uh, see, I've discovered that in this modern age, when you're without internet service, you can't book ahead and change your seat. So there I am in the middle seat, and both times I'm, I'm... between two people who have not, don't have easy access to the hygiene products that we enjoy here in the West, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got 10 hours in this seat, Lord, 10 hours, wow. (laughs) And what you begin to realize, wow, there's some prejudices there. 
And the Spirit is like, the person next to you looks like a tree, doesn't he? <laughs> Why don't you see them clearly? Why don't you strip away the prejudice, the petty prejudices, and see them the way God sees them. If Valley Point Church is going to do all that God desires for you to do and the works that he's laid out for you to do in advance, if you're going to be successful at that, you have to see the world the way he sees it. Not according to the flesh, but according to, what is it to see someone according to the spirit? It's loving. It's hopeful. It's expectant. You just can't wait to figure out what is God going to do in that person's life. They are so messed up right now. The transformation is going to be awesome to watch. We need to get the eyes of the Spirit from now on, therefore. How are we going to do that? That's where that phrase from verse 18 comes in. All this is from God. Folks, I'm 54 years old. I don't release prejudices easily. Only with the grace of God. Only with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Do we let go of the petty prejudices that keep us from loving the people for whom Christ died? From now on, therefore, we will live differently. There's a new control factor, the love of Christ. There's a turning point from now on. Therefore, uh, thirdly, there's a motivation for missional living. You know, we don't make massive changes like this in our mindset. We don't make massive changes like this in our behavior by accident or without intention. There must be massive motivators. As I said, I'm 54 years old. I've been married to the same woman for 32 years been a dad for 30 years. I've pastored churches for 30 years. And I, I'm in a rut. <laughs> I just do this. I, I, I don't change much at 54. And I don't change at all without a massive motivator. The habits that I've formed over time just prevail, Right? Well, you don't, you don't know me. Uh, maybe I've met some of you a few years ago when I was here, but um, um, I can tell you this about myself. For a lot of years, I've had a lot of fun with food. I mean, a lot of fun. I love food. Anyone? Come on, Philly. You love your food, right? <laughs> I love food. And uh, the, the, the greatest travail in being here for like almost less than 24 hours is trying to figure out how I'm going to get a Philly cheesesteak before I leave, right? Um, I had a lot of fun with food. And for the last four months, I've had no fun with food at all, ever. Um, and let's just say, because I had so much fun with food, I became a person of a certain size, Okay, I asked my wife a while back, have you seen my belt laying around the house? And she said, is it that big that it'll go around the whole house now? Um, you know, that I, I was a certain size, right? And in four months, lost 40 pounds, which my wife assures me is a great start. And uh, uh, 
what changes you? I mean, I've eaten a certain way my whole life, and what changes you? What would convince you to change? Seven months ago, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's preached here before, they actually wanted her this weekend and couldn't get her. She was unavailable, so they settled for me. Uh, But uh, my daughter Bethany put my first grandchild in my arms. And uh, yeah, there he is. Massive motivator. And when I held him in my arms at 2 a.m. in the morning at Good Shepherd Hospital, I had a moment. A from now on, therefore moment. Right? And I decided I want to be able to get on the ground and play with my grandson. And I want to ride bikes with him when he can ride bikes. And I I just want to be in his life. And I want to have this profound ongoing effect in the life of Carson David Cook. And I knew in order to do that, I had to change fundamentally how I live. And uh, that is such a small change compared to changing my heart. And if I'm going to live out the purpose of Jesus at every time and in every place, I have to change something fundamentally within me. I have to have a from now on therefore moment. What is the motivational factor for that kind of change? Look in verse 18. It says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Kind of mentally underline that phrase. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So the motivating factor is that he reconciled us to himself. Do you remember that day, your salvation day? I mean, the day where broken beyond belief became healing. Uh, The day that lost was found and blind could see and the day that broken became mended. Do you remember that day? You should never get over your salvation. That day that Jesus rescued you from the pit that you had dug for yourself, that day when all the sin was wiped away, that day when you were guilty no more, he reconciled us to himself now, reconciliation, that's, that's kind of a fancy theological word. And sometimes, in order to really get to the meat of the matter, we've got to strip away the theological varnish and just get what does it mean in, in my life? Well, I love it when the text actually does that. It'll use a theological concept, and then it defines it. And it does it here. He reconciled us to himself. Verse 19, that is, in other words, this is what I'm really trying to say Later in that verse, it says this, not counting their trespasses against them. He canceled our debt. He tore down the wall relationally that was between us. He took what was a monumental debt created by my sin and turned it into an eternal debt of gratitude. He and only he took away my sin. That ought to motivate us in a massive way. Quite simply, when we think of what he did for us, how can we not do the same for someone else? 
Back to our text in verse 18, the second portion, it says, God reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because of what he did for us, that huge motivating factor in our life, now we're to release that in the lives of others. We are to be a minister of reconciliation. We're to help other people find faith in Christ. We're to live out the purpose of Jesus at every time and in every place. This is a great church. You have been well-fed, well-taught. I'm sure there's not anyone here who disagrees with that, that we ought to go win people to Jesus. Here's the rub. How many of us are actually engaging the assignment? I mean, I know that's very convicting to me. Uh, Is there one person on the planet that we have personally helped to reconcile to Christ? Because I know that we all have lost people in our world. But are we actually doing that? Is there one person that I'm actively having a conversation with right now about having faith in Christ? You know, some of us, and I've been in this group before, would say, oh, well, you know what? I'm part of a great church, and I I give here, and I serve here, and this church is reaching the lost for Christ, and this church is preaching the gospel, and and my pastor is doing a great job with all of that, and I'm so glad to be part of Valley Point Church. And you know what? This verse doesn't say that he made Valley Point Church a minister of reconciliation. It uses a personal pronoun. He reconciled us to himself and made us ministers of reconciliation. We could even make it more personal and and make it singular. He reconciled me and made me a minister of reconciliation. There's one last thing here to note in the text and we'll be done. Not only is there a control factor for missional living, the love of Christ, not only is there a, a turning point, a from now on, therefore moment, where we see people differently. Not only is there a tremendous motivator that I've been reconciled to Christ, but there is a mandate for missional living. There there is a command at the end. It begins with the love of Christ, and it ends with a command from Christ. It says, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God could have used any venue any vessel, but he chose to use me and you, broken and busy. He chose to use us in the midst of all of our incessant rebellion that we would be ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? It's someone who represents the interest of a dignitary to a foreign people. That's what we are in a post-Christian world. We're representing King Jesus to a lost world. We have been made ambassadors. This is the mandate. You know, I realize in a crowd this size, there are always people who, maybe you're visiting, uh, you're a guest of someone here today, or maybe you've been around for a while, but everything I've said is just straight over your head. All that theological, reconciled and trespassed, I have no idea what you're talking about. The next two minutes are for you. I want to live out the truth of this passage in front of you and for you right now. So if if that's who you are, you just tune in right now. Everyone else can pray. But you, you tune in. It says in the text, 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. To implore is to get down on one knee and beg. And I'm begging you. If you've never come into relationship with God by placing your faith in Christ, I'm begging you, please be reconciled to God. How can that even happen? Brian, you have no idea the mess that's in my life. I don't even know I'm in a church today. Let let me tell you, right, right in the text here it says, for our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, he was completely innocent. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he took his son Jesus, who was innocent and perfect, and he took the sin of the whole world and he put it on him so that he would have the power to give to us all that's good in him. Scripture calls it righteousness. And that transfer, your sin, for his righteousness can happen if you will believe. Just want to ask everyone to bow their heads right now. And in this quiet moment, I want to give all of us an opportunity to consider this offer. We implore you, be reconciled to God. If you've never made a decision to place your faith in Christ, you can do it right now. In the quietness of this moment, from your heart to God's ears, you might say a little prayer like this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God. That he did what he said he did. He died on the cross for me. And he made it possible for me to receive his righteousness. Today, I put my faith in Jesus as the Lord and leader of my life. I ask him to take away my sin and to make me a part of his forever family. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you made that decision, we'd encourage you to record that on your connection card. Uh, Put it in the basket on your way out today. Give your pastor an opportunity to hear your story and help you take some important next steps. Well, Valley Point Church, on your 46th birthday, may this be our birthday wish, that we would live out the purpose of Jesus at every time and at every place. Love you so much. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.